Welcome to the Theater of the Midnight Sun, the 21st century stage for stories, with your host and writer, Michael McGee. This is Michael McGee, and at this venue you'll hear stories of mystery, history, fantasy, farce, sci-fi, spy-fi, the everyday, and the absurd. And pretty much all will be performed by a bunch of regular Joes, just friends and colleagues who in their mild-mannered day jobs are everything from accountants to winery consultants. None of whom, including your host, have a day of experience on the stage, and boy does it show. So hold on tight for the next story on this, The Theater of the Midnight Sun. Today's story is a humorous tale about a man who, in trying to do the right thing, gets in a little over his head. In this story, Big Business. One night, several years ago, I was at home and almost asleep when my phone rang. It was close to midnight, so I didn't pick it up. Good thing, too. Back then, considering the fix I was in, I'd made it a habit to screen all my calls. So the message played. I always do kind of goofy ones, me singing or something. And when the beep goes, I get this. You will pick up this phone. I know you're there. Don't act like you're not. Pick up this phone, or I shall raise up the armies of darkness and cast you into the eternal fires of hell! <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm shaking in my boots. Once again, somehow the devil had gotten my phone number. I expected he'd get my number eventually, I just hadn't counted on it being so soon. And considering just how quick it was, I had a pretty good idea who'd given it to him. Frankly, I don't know why old Bezelba was so angry anyway. The whole thing was really his fault. As usual, he'd come up to Earth looking for a few more souls to add to his ledger, and so he comes to my door disguised as one of those kids. You know, the ones that are always selling magazine subscriptions or something, buy three, get one free. And okay, so I'm a sucker and I let the little guy in so I can go get my checkbook. And poof, he turns into the devil. He's got the pitchfork, the horns, the little red suit, the whole tired costume. Then he winks and says he's got a much better deal than the magazine thing and wants to trade me my soul for fame and fortune and babes galore, whatever. I just rolled my eyes. I told him I'd rather have the magazines. He got a little teed off then and I said, hey, as far as I was concerned, this whole Faust thing had been done to death. Like you're really going to get anybody to go for it anymore, I said to him. They can see it coming a mile away and the thing pops up everywhere. Books, TV, movies, it's always the same old thing. Yeah, business has been kind of off the last few years. See? In your whole presentation, it's like you're not even trying anymore. And I told him flat out I wanted nothing to do with it. But I guess he was in denial because already he's not listening to me. He's off walking around, checking out my apartment, and the guy hardly looks like your variety brand Prince of Darkness anyway. For one thing, he's a total slob. He slouched over, got a major five o'clock shadow thing going on, and man what he could have done with an iron. 
next thing out of his mouth is, Jesus, you actually live in this crap hole? Like he should talk. Before I can stop him, he's picking stuff off my shelves, my snow domes, and Pez collection, poo-pooing it all. And then he gets hold of a picture of my mom and dad, showing me smiling at my graduation, and he starts sticking his finger down his throat. Like I need this. And so I'm taking the stuff away from him, and he asks if he can use the bathroom, and like an idiot, I say, okay. So now the place is totally polluted, and I'm opening windows, and before I know it, he's raiding the fridge, loading up, finally plopping down at my kitchen table, chugging back a Mountain Dew and gnawing on a chicken wing. After a second or so, he kicks back in my chair, his feet on my table, and he says, So, what do you think? What do I think? Yeah, I'm more going on this soul thing or not. Uh, maybe you weren't listening, but I am not interested. Talk about lame, if this sell your soul thing is the best you got, next time don't even bother stopping by. Hey, I've been working this angle since long before your time, bucko. Yeah, well, you'll watch many a business go under with that attitude nowadays. You either adapt or die. The world's gone global. Corporations everywhere are busy looking at their organizations and priorities in new ways. Oh, uh, give me a break. Just hire a consultant or something like it's gonna kill ya. A lot of businesses are doing it these days. Well, I don't know. Oh, brother. Folks get so stuck in their ways. Maybe, instead of this whole soul contract thing, maybe we could do something a little different. I'd stupidly started feeling sorry for him. I mean, the guy looks so pathetic. After all, aren't you tired of dragging yourself through the same routine over and over? Well, yeah, but... But it's comfortable and you don't have to think anymore. Just go out and knock on a few doors. That's a bad sign. Yeah, I even tried to do phone soliciting. Stupid caller ID. <laughs> yeah, well, talk about phoning it in. <sighs> I guess it's just this job. I've been doing it way too long. Certainly looks like it. What you need is to get away from it for a while. So, how about this? What if we... What if we swap jobs for a while? Huh? Yeah, that way you could learn something new, get acquainted with some new surroundings. Might help you see things from a different perspective. Now I said this to the guy, really trying to help him. It was all about board. No tricks. Not like the stupid kind he usually pulls. Well, I guess I could do with a bit of a break. Is your job tough? No, not at all. Can't say it's one of the greatest jobs, but you get a lot of exposure. I've got a nice office with this huge window along one whole wall. Beautiful view of the city. We're on the 12th floor and you can see the whole waterfront from there. Really? Oh yeah, might be very good for you. And they wouldn't mind. I don't think so. I'll give them a call in the morning to make sure it's okay. And so that's how it happened. I started work the following Monday overseeing the Minions of Hell, and the Devil became co-host on a new line of infomercials. He was actually pretty good at it, too, from what I heard. Seemed to have a real handle on just how to get folks interested in the various things they had no interest in. Pushing new beauty products, kitchen appliances, weight loss equipment. Every now and then he'd accidentally stray from the teleprompter and slip into his old sell your soul to me spiel before he caught himself. But other than that, he did pretty well. As for my end of it, I found hell a pretty interesting change of pace. It was steady work, pretty cushy job really. After all, you set your own hours, you're your own boss, you work at your own pace. 
criminy, I'd never had a job like that. True, there wasn't much upward mobility, but that's alright. Plus, the commute was a breeze. The only problem was I didn't much like the work environment. The interior design was awful. Way too hot, shag carpeting everywhere, and some of the people were just downright nasty. I thought at the very least the place could do with a coat of paint, so I had a guy from Sherwin-Williams come out and give me an estimate. It was a bit out of our budget, but I managed to sell off a few souls cheap to a couple political parties, and pretty soon we were in business. Later, I put in a pool, set up a little cabana bar, the kind that serves those drinks with the little umbrellas in them. I even stuck in some palm trees, and bam, instant makeover. Sure, I know it sounds kind of foofy, but really it looked a lot better than it used to. And boy, if you thought people were doing their darndest to get in before, they were drawing numbers to get in now. I had a three-hour line waiting outside the gates. Of course, I don't think that demons and ghouls much like the changes at first. What I was going for in a big picture sort of way was something more clean-cut and feel. So I asked them if they wouldn't mind trimming their hides and getting their claws clipped and so on. Maybe dressing in something other than filth and human skins every frickin' day of the week. A lot of them got pretty ticked off, but I told them, hey, it's my way or the highway. If you got a problem with it, find yourself another job. I hated having to say that, but when you're out to convey a particular image, sometimes you have to be the bad guy. Later, I called all the devil's disciples back in. The ones that had been spread all over the world wreaking havoc, inspiring your basic discontent and malevolence and so on. I did it mostly because I needed extra help with all the new customers coming in, and frankly I couldn't afford to pay everybody I had working for me overtime. So when they finally punched in, I had everybody sit down and we had this big powwow about what their new job duties would be. Most were really PO'd about the policy changes, but in the end we had a big group hug and everybody seemed fine with it. Pretty soon, though, word starts getting back to me that the devil's kind of miffed at all the changes I'm making. Somebody told him, I guess. So one night, old Hornhead shows up on my doorstep again, wanting to switch jobs back. He gussied himself up a bit, all clean-shaven, his hair slicked back, smelling like he'd been baptized in skin bracer. Your typical lounge lizard look, really, with gold chains even. But at least it was a step up from the last time we met. I managed to put him off another week about the job thing, saying I couldn't just up and give it back to him right then. After all, I just put up all these signs that said, under new management, which incidentally took a few hours of my own personal time, thank you. A lot of bugs still needed to be worked out of the software systems. Plus, I'd started a bunch of new employee programs and wanted to make sure they had some time to go into effect. For instance, I'd set up this new exchange program with Heaven. And I was looking into daycare for some of the workers, benefits needed to be sorted out, that kind of thing. The whole place was still pretty much a shambles, and I would have hated to have it go back the way it was just yet. Already I'd had several customers come up and shake my hand, telling me how much better things were now than when they used to have their heads torn off and devoured and so on. Plus, I told the devil, I thought things are even better for you at work now. They've got you finally out of those crummy old studios and the broiling lights, Outdoors, doing man-on-the-street testimonials, meeting lots of people. After all, you've always been a people person. Yeah, but... Yeah, well, that's pretty impressive. I'd been arguing for a change like that for a year, and they wouldn't budge an inch. You're there two months, and look what happens. Wouldn't you feel kind of bad ditching on them now? Yeah, but... Well, it's good pay, isn't it? Oh yeah, a lot better than before. I even have a bank account now. 
Well then, give it a little more time. When it's time to switch back, I think you'll know. Actually, this kind of conversation began happening every month or so, and I'd always end up putting him off another week or two. I could tell he was starting to get pretty ticked, and I felt kind of bad. I suppose the reason I wanted to stick with the job as long as I could was, well, I guess I was beginning to like it. After a while, I started making it tougher for him to find me. I kept a low profile, moving now and then. Had my number changed too, of course. I didn't like doing that, but I hoped somehow it'd all be for the better in the end. Meanwhile, I kept trying to turn things around at the workplace. Part of the reason I figured things were so bad to begin with was because the devil had never been selective in his customers. Frankly, even a no-shoes, no-service policy would have been a nice start. But I swear he'd take just about anybody. The result was a really unruly rabble. So I started putting restrictions on new inductees. No more paparazzi, no more political pundits, no more corporate shills, tabloid journalists, Hollywood producers, tobacco execs, the usual lot. I figured they could walk the earth a while as the restless damned, at least till they got things sorted out for themselves. They were just making things worse for what I was trying to do. It was bringing down property values, some people didn't want to be seated next to them on their shelf in hell, and I didn't need those kind of problems. But what was weird was, after a while, it seemed the world started becoming a better place. I don't know if it was my policies or what, you know, me calling all the demons back in, but something was sure causing it. Peace was breaking out all over. Prejudice and bigotry were almost a thing of the past. In fact, villainy of all sorts seemed to be disappearing entirely. Suddenly, people could actually go outside their homes without having to lock their doors at night. Children began treating their elders with respect. It was rare to see anyone even double parked anymore. But then this one day, I get a visit from one of the angels on high, who's come to see me about all the wonderful reforms I'm making. Of course, he sends a formal notice of his coming arrival. There's blaring trumpets, little cherubs flying about. The whole thing's kind of snobby, really. And so I meet with him, and he's very nice in a condescending sort of way. And he tells me that God, the big guy himself, has asked that I sort of tone it down a little. Tone it down? Yes, he goes, how shall I put this? He feels you're providing a little too much competition. And he asks as a favor to him if you wouldn't mind seeing your way clear to kind of mixing it up a little. You know, adding a little more razzmatazz, sprinkling in a little vileness and debauchery now and then. Um, excuse me, but I'm doing my best to turn this into a family establishment. That kind of thing's important to people nowadays. Family values, you know. Well, old wingbutt seemed a bit put off by that. Then suddenly he gets real chummy, putting his hand on my shoulder, bringing up his golf swing and all, and I get a feeling he's going to try another angle. Suddenly he snaps his fingers, and sure enough, two of his cronies drop down. Well, to put it simply, you're beginning to draw away some of our clientele. And frankly, there isn't enough room for two heavens. His goons plopped down two suitcases in front of me. That's why we thought a joint venture might be the best way to keep things in their proper perspective. And so he opens the two suitcases, and there inside are these mounds of bills. Almost as much money as some of these oil companies see. It was a buyout. I just stared at all that money a second, my eyes big as silver dollars. But after a while... The whole thing started to stink as bad as the devil that time in my bathroom. 
In fact, it got me pretty mad all of a sudden. And when I looked up, here the angel is, winking at me. I pushed the suitcases away. Excuse me, but I think there are certain regulations prohibiting monopolies, aren't there? Oh, really? And who are you going to go to about it? Well, he had me there. But I wasn't through, not by a long shot. Look, if you think your establishment can muscle in on my business, you got another thing coming. <laughs> oh, really, dear boy? I think you ought to reconsider. After all, I'd hate to have some unfortunate accident befall this pretty little setup you have here. Is that a threat? Threat? Oh, no, no, no. Let's just call it advice, my dear boy. Still, I'm sure in the end you'll see the light. And he smiled real big then. Which brings us back to that one night and that midnight phone call. I knew very well who'd given out my number, and I don't think it was at all kosher of the big guy. But that wasn't the end of it. Not by any means. Pretty soon, the two of them, the devil and the big guy himself, began trying to squeeze me out. Already, heaven had started boycotting us. I couldn't even get office supplies from them anymore. But at least my staff was standing by me. In fact, the whole outfit was rather loyal. Now, before the big guy stuck his nose in, I heard the devil had got laid off from my old job. They said it hadn't had anything to do with him personally. They were just looking for some new talent and wanted to appeal to a younger demographic. Later, he tried to finagle his way into another job, doing computer programming or something, but apparently that hadn't worked out either. In fact, he tried getting a job at several places, but nobody would have him. It's partly his fault, really. I mean, here he'd had the whole of eternity to make something of himself, and he didn't even have one real trade skill. But I guess he finally figured that out, because he eventually went off to school for his MBA. Nowadays, that's pretty much the only way you can get a decent job anyhow. Or at least he was doing that, until the big guy got him all fired up about tossing me out again. And that's when the real trouble started. I'd just acquired some mobile refreshment stands for the first and fourth levels in hell, and all of a sudden, another of them angels drops down and slaps a summons in my hand. Here you go. Have a nice day. Seems he was representing all those tobacco execs and political pundits who'd suddenly come to the conclusion that I was discriminating against them by not letting them into hell. Of course, heaven wasn't exactly rushing around to let them in either, but that didn't come up for some reason. So I show up in court with my lawyer, and I can see the jury is already stacked against me. All angels, and all of them smiling too. A few witnesses are called, there's some cross-examinations. Then, not even six hours into the trial, suddenly the ruling's handed down. All very suspicious, of course, and all very bad. Seems the punitive damages alone were going to exceed $6.4 million per person. I just sat there stunned. Right after that, that one angel, all bright and white and everything, with his big fluffy wings, the same one who'd visited my office earlier, he comes over to me. Yes, sir. We might be able to settle this whole thing out of court. Put it all behind us if you just strike up this one little deal with us. Which is what? You can walk off scot-free, no strings attached, if you simply give in and relinquish the job to your predecessor. I couldn't believe it. I just shook my head. It was the old Faust thing all over again. I told him he could go to hell.
I didn't know what I was going to do. But by the time I got back down to Hades, I realized I didn't have much of a choice anyway. It seemed a coup of sorts had occurred while I was away. And who's sitting in my chair but none other than the devil himself? Well, hello there. He smiled at me then, his little pitchfork in his hand, looking all corporate with his red suit cleaned and pressed and all, his nails manicured. I think it might be best if you just gave in and called quits, don't you? Nobody wants you here anymore. I realized he wasn't just whistling Dixie either. Everywhere I looked, people were swearing and yelling at me. Oh, they'd done a job of it all right. The devil and the big guy, I mean. Apparently, they drummed up a bunch of quick propaganda against me while I was out. Leaflets, flyers, press releases and such, telling everybody how bad and how horrible my management had been. How I'd stolen from them and made unwarranted advances towards some of the visiting angels. Things like that. And the people believed it all. In fact, they seemed delighted, even excited, that the devil himself had come back home to roost. All of them shouting about how much better off they were all going to be now. So the devil calls in a couple security guards to have me escorted out. And they're standing around watching me clean out my desk and everything. While the whole time old Beelzebub's going on about how he's going to give me an extra two months severance. Like he's Mr. Generous. I just shook my head afterwards and walked off sad and a little dazed, carrying my nameplate with me and stumbling along. Eventually I made it back to my apartment and sat down, a little tired, trying to forget the whole thing. It was hard, you know, and I shed a tear or two, but what else was I going to do? It was over and that was that. Funny the things you miss, especially when you have no business missing them even if it is hell. Isn't that silly? That was 10 years ago. Of course, I was never really able to forget it all. I mean, hell just sort of sticks with you that way. Still, I tried to get on with my life as best I could. Since then, I've settled down, I've got a wife and kids now, a couple cats, a fish or two, and a decent house up in the hills. I even got a job offer as CEO for a Fortune 500 company not long after the coup fiasco. When they'd seen my resume and all the things I'd done for the underworld, they made sure I didn't get away. It was basically the same position when you get right down to it. At least the perks were pretty much identical but I'd met enough chief executives buzzing about the lower realms to think twice about it, and in the end I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So I took a lower level position instead. Nowadays, my life is pretty much the same as anybody else's. It's all about working on the house and trying to get the kids to school on time and planning our next vacation. But every now and then, this one weird looking kid will show up at our door selling magazines. And he always asks me if I have any tips on how he might better run his business. And so ends our first story, Big Business. 
Visit us next week when we'll present a wholly different sort of tale. This one a sci-fi thriller set in modern-day Istanbul, where a group of struggling research scientists discover a tiny object that proves to be incredibly old. So old, in fact, and so unusual, it could spell the end of life as we know it. In the story, Uniform. I'm Michael McGee, and yes, I was the writer-producer, and unfortunately for your ears, the actor heard in all the segments produced here. I podcast this short story first because it seemed the easiest to try to put together, given my very limited knowledge of podcasting and recording. In the future, though, we do hope to have bigger productions, bigger stories, and bigger ideas, which I do hope you'll enjoy. And for those programs, we'll be having some of my friends, what we're calling the Midnight Sun Soundlings, help out with some of the acting chores. But please keep in mind that we are the furthest thing from stage professionals. As for the music heard in today's show, right now you're listening to the theme for the Theater of the Midnight Sun. It's called The Copper Locked Nymph, and was written by a great band out of Texas called Clouseau. Clouseau was also the performer of another tune heard here called Walking from Juarez. Other music in the show included three really wonderful pieces by a fellow named Justin Gordon. Also, a couple of the tracks were by the Juggernaut Jug Band. In fact, all of the tunes mentioned here so far were provided either by the Podshow Podsafe Network at music.podshow.com or they were courtesy of the Garage Band website at www.garageband.com. More info on all the music used here, including the song titles and the names of the performers, can be found on the Theater of the Midnight Sun website at www.theaterofthemidnightsun.podbean.com. So that's it for this week. This is Michael McGee saying, No need to wake Shakespeare or bother Mark Twain, and no use in worrying Broadway or even your local high school thespians. It's just us, the Theater of the Midnight Sun. <laughs>